the voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Davo. Well, it is still early, yes. But the next 10 days will tell the tale for the Kansas City Royals, and that'll kind of be the theme of this entire dish on Clubhouse Conversation with Davo. Glad you are along as we discuss the current state of the Royals after being handed a terribly disappointing four-game sweep in Texas against the Rangers with a completely anemic offense. I feel like there aren't even words big enough to describe how bad this offense has been all year long, especially over this weekend. And we're going to look back over the last four games. We're going to preview the next three in Chicago. Got a couple of your questions from Twitter that I'll get to, and we'll kind of just talk about the general state of where the Royals are at right now. But let's start off with what everybody wants to talk about, and that's the offensive offense. Offensive for those of us who live and die with every single day of sitting there for three hours a night and watching this offense. It it, it offends me. It offends me watching it. It's that bad. I mean, I tweeted about this throughout the weekend. You continue to see selfish approaches up there at the plate over and over. Uh, Paulo Orlando was sent down, of course, along with Mondesi after game one of this series. And the biggest at bat that stood out as selfish in this series was you have a runner at second with nobody out. I believe it was the fifth inning of the Thursday night game. First pitch, breaking ball low and away. He pulls it. First pitch. You've got a runner at second and nobody out. First pitch, you're pulling it. Hit the ball to the right side. Bunt him over when you're not scoring runs. It's the middle of a game. You've got a stud on the mound in Duffy. Bunt him over, hit the ball to the right side, whatever. Move the runner, at least attempt to move the runner. And then hopefully Mondesi bunts him in next. We've seen Mondesi squeeze this year. Probably the Royals might win that game 1-0 in regulation in nine innings on Thursday had Orlando moved the runner. That to me, you know, then we saw him flailing away and striking out of breaking balls blown away, not recognizing pitches. He was on swinging strikes over half the balls he was swinging out this season, according to the grids, were not in the strike zone. So uh, smart and a, and a nice move to send him down, let him regather things. I love Paulo, and hopefully he'll be back up helping this team at some point this summer as a fourth or fifth outfielder, depending on what happens here. So you look at that, and you see Escobar all year swinging out of his shoes. And I, and let's begin with this by pointing out, too, that I'm, I'm talking about two guys in the 8-9 hole coming into the season that really didn't have to hit for the Royals to win. So let's not, you know, I'm, I'm going to go through everybody. <laughs> no one's going to be left out of this dish. It's not just these guys. I'm just going through selfish plate appearances that I keep seeing. We saw it with Escobar time and time again. We see it every year. About May 15th, he finally says, okay, I'll admit it. I've been swinging for the fences. We saw him back in March being quoted as, I'm going to hit 10 home runs this year. No, you aren't, Esky. You are what you are. Guys on the other side of 30 that have been playing this long in the major leagues who never had that kind of power to begin with don't have that kind of power unless you're Eric Thames with the Brewers and you know or a steroid user like other people. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Not for, not for him. I mean, stay within yourself. And much better today. He did take some pitches. He did try to take the ball the opposite way. I'll give Escobar credit much better today on Sunday at the plate. And but, it, it, but at the same time, it frustrates me that we go through this every year with him, that we go through a full month of him living in this fantasy world of being a power hitter and, you know, turning into a, I don't know if he thinks he's a 2020 guy or what he thinks is happening, but, you know, uh, it, it's frustrating to me. So, you know, going up and down the lineup, we, we can talk about it. But the number one thing to me is 
Selfish approach is number one. Pitch recognition is horrible. This has always been a free-swinging team. and But back in the day, when they went to the World Series, they were, like, impossible to strike out. You know, always 29th or 30th in strikeouts. Now they're more, they're still actually, surprisingly, they don't strike out as much as the team as you'd think. They're, I think they were 18th now in strikeouts. So they're middle to lower pack. So there's still about 17, 18 teams that strike out more than the Royals, which is shocking if you watch this team every day, right? Can you believe that? I couldn't believe that when I saw that stat today, but... Yeah, uh, the offense is a whole 2.55 runs per game as they drop to 7 and 11. I mean, 2.55. Honestly, I'm not I'm not making jokes now. 2.55 runs a game is what you would expect from a good double-A team who faces big league pitching every day. If you brought up, and I'm, I'm being serious, I'm not joking. If you brought up the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, I, I am willing to bet you they could probably average about 2.55 runs a game playing the exact same schedule the Royals have. That's not good. Once you get to double A, if you're able to hit the curveball, even the, the breaking stuff, I should say, if you, if you can hit the secondary pitches at even a decent clip, you're in double A. And so a good, you know, a, a good hitting double A team could score two and a half runs a game at the major league level because at that level, they're starting to recognize breaking pitches. Not joking. That's how bad that is. 2.55 runs a game is absolutely brutal. That's like 2003 Detroit Tiger bad. Oh, let's hope this is just a fluke. Is it? Like I said, we're going to find out the next 10 days. That's kind of the theme of this whole dish. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But let's go all up and down the lineup here. Let's not just single out. So far, we've talked about Orlando, and we've talked about Esky in particular. There's a lot of guys to look at, but we'll start with good, I guess, because the, the lineup was reshuffled today. So we'll start at the top of the order. And it's nice seeing Whit Merrifield back, a guy that should have been on the team out of opening day. If nothing else, you know, to a degree, I mean, I disagree with Mondesi being the starter opening day. I was excited about it. We talked about it in our preview here in the dish, me, myself and Clubhouse Conversation Insider Jake Lutz. We were both excited about it from a defensive perspective because it would. there was no doubt that Mondesi is by far the superior second baseman to any of the other options. So from that perspective, saving the, the, the thought of saving a couple of runs a week from your defense or a run a week, whatever it is, it's hard to quantify that. But, you know, in theory, that's pretty exciting to think about, plus his speed when he gets on the bases, right? But it doesn't work when your entire team is hitting a buck fifty. When your guys that are paid and con- or that are in contract years that are, that are supposed to hit twenty five home runs are pacing for eight or nine. I mean that's not going to work when that kind of stuff happens. So the Royals had to send him down. It's not Mondi's fault. I, I honestly I probably disagreed from him being on the opening day roster from the start. But I don't have a problem with it. I can understand it because of the defense. You thought the team was going to hit. So I'm not going to criticize that move. But Whit Merrifield has to be on this roster. I mean, Christian Cologne, they're just delaying the inevitable. There is a 0% chance Christian Cologne is on this team in 2018. 0%. He's not a major league starter, and he's not a major league utility guy. He's a 4A player. And, and that's not to diss Christian Cologne. He's not a major league player. He can't play anywhere else in the field except second base at an above average level. And even that's questionable at second. I, I would put him defensively league average at second base. But other positions, he's below average. Not fast. I mean, he doesn't. This doesn't give you a lot. He's never really hit. He's had, a, you know, there's a big hit, a big infield chopper in the wild card game, and he did have an extra innings hit in the World Series. But for the most part, he's never hit. There's lots of guys who have played this game that have had a huge hit in the franchise. Look up Francisco Cabrera with the Atlanta Braves in the early '90s, who had one big hit in the postseason, but otherwise had a, a nothing career. I mean, there's there's guys up all up and down in every sport that have a big moment or two that don't have good careers. And that, again, I'm not trying to bash Christian Colon. I'm just saying Whit Merrifield. There's zero doubt he should have been on this opening day roster. He can play both second base, outfield. He's got plus speed. So and Mondesi has to play every day if he's up here. So. 
you know, you got to send down the AAA, which the Royals did. But it just frustrates me, especially when what comes up and gets on base four times in the first game here at the K, right? And then, where's it in Texas? Yeah, Texas, sorry. First game gets on base four times in Texas. My bad. Then the next night he's, he struggles, and the next night after that he's not in the lineup. So he, <laughs> he hits a home run opposite field, kind of has great at bats, is the only guy working the other side of the field, nice long counts. And then the next night, struggles a little bit. Then he's out of your lineup. Makes a lot of sense. And the Royals lose that game, by the way, one nothing when he wasn't playing. So, Or 2-1. It's hard to even keep track anymore. They, one of those games where they didn't score was one of the nights they lost, but he didn't play. Let's just put it that way. That really narrows it down, doesn't it? But nice to see Witt up. He's having good at-bats. Jorge Bonifacio, how about that? Gets his first big league hit off of you, Darvish. Visits Dongtown off of you, Darvish, as well. How about that for Jorge Bonifacio, a guy that we spoke with last year on Clubhouse Conversation. Make sure you go back in the archives. If you did not listen to that, listen to our interview with Jorge Bonifacio. Very neat guy. About a 15-minute phone conversation we had with him. So check out the interview on this website here, clubhouseconversation.com, that we did with Jorge Bonifacio. We've had Win on here as well. All these guys, Matt Strom, all up and down, Alex Gordon. Go through in, in our podcast archives. Um, if you click on on the website, if you click on... Um, Current player interviews, you'll find loads and loads of them from the last three years here on Clubhouse Conversation. So uh, let's go through the bad now. (laughs) I'm stressed. That's about the only good I have. I mean, there are a couple good guys, too. We shouldn't (laughs) – we'll get to them in a second. But those two guys coming in here are great. All right, I can't do negative yet. I've got to stay positive. We'll continue with the three more guys who are having nice offensive seasons who have been up here because those two really don't count. I mean, 1,000 OPS for Bonifacio in two days. You know what? We'll take it. I don't care if it's seven or eight at bats. He's got 1,000 OPS, damn it. Whit Merrifield's over 800. I'll take it. But to be serious, those two have had nice starts. It's Of course, you can't hardly talk about it. It's such a small sample. But Moose is having a nice start to the year. 915 OPS. And again, I'm aware there's so many different things you can look at. My favorite things to look at now, I'm not really a war guy. Although that's not based on strictly offense. So that's not really an offensive statistic. But I'm an OPS guy and I'm a hard contact guy. I love looking at hard contact rates. I love looking at on-base plus. If you're getting on base and hitting the ball with power, and hitting it hard, you're having a good off, uh, you know, offensive season. Moose, 915 OPS. Again, this is just one metric we're looking at because I'd be talking to you for an hour and a half if we went through everything. But Moose, 915. Kane, 852. Perez, 793. For those that don't know, league average, low 700s, depending on the position. But Perez, OPS in near 800 for catcher is fantastic. Kane, 852. Fantastic. Moose, elite, elite, 915 over there at third base. So nice, uh, nice starts for those guys. But then there's the rest of the team. Eric Hosmer has a 528 OPS. A, a first baseman in the American League needs to be right around 800 to really even quantify yourself as average. Upper sevens, 800. He has a 528 OPS. He's hitting 203 if you want to go old school batting average. Eric Hosmer has the same amount of home runs, one, as Whit Merrifield, who went opposite field first day up in the big leagues this year, and Jorge Bonifacio, who crushed the ball second day in the big leagues. And Eric Cosmer has one home run. Alex Gordon, even worse, believe it or not. 455 OPS, a 169 batting average. Now, the weird thing about that is Gordon is actually striking out at a lower percent than he ever has. Like, he's striking out less than he normally does. Hitting the, make, putting the ball in play more, so that's good. 
And some of it's the shifts have taken away a few hits as he's lining some balls right up the middle, but he's going to have to make adjustments. He's going to have to use the left side of the field a little bit more. But there are some good things with Alex. But, you know, obviously a 455 OPS is only okay if your name is Dan Straley. That's not good for an outfielder in the major leagues, especially one that was leading off and that you expect a lot out of. Brandon Moss, 512 OPS, 133 batting average. 512 OPS, and he's hitting 133. Two years, what, $12 million for him? That 512 OPS, that 133 batting average is okay if you're a high school senior facing Major League Pitching. I mean, come on. 133? Alcides Escobar hitting 190 with a 481 OPS, which is okay if you're a rookie ball who's 17 years old in that league. If you come up here and face Major League Pitching tomorrow, if that's what you hit, that's okay. It's not okay for Escobar in a contract year. Or... Chesler Cuthbert, 442 OPS, 125 average. Sample size there, I know. Butera, 188 and 438. We could do this all day. We didn't even get to Mondesi in Orlando because I would cry right now. And I don't want to cry right now. It just doesn't want to happen. Bottom line, this team is going nowhere fast if the offense doesn't start scoring four or five runs on a, on a fairly consistent basis. And the sad thing is you're wasting so many Phenomenal outings as your team ERA is about a full run starting pitching wise, better than the second place one. You get the best starting pitching in the major leagues, even with Jason Hamill being mostly a bust, even with a tough start in there from Nate Carn. Let me. I don't even want to go back and look at how many games the Royals have lost when they've scored, when they've allowed two or less. What is it, five now, I think, without looking? I don't want to look. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So, coming in, the Royals had to get a split in this series, realistically. There's no shame in losing Cole Hamels versus Nate Carnes. You're going to lose that game. You're going to lose today as well. Jason Hamill was not going to beat you, Darvish. So, there's no shame in losing those two games. But you had to get a split in this series. You had to beat Andrew freaking Kashner and Nick freaking Martinez when you had Duffy opposing him in the first game against Kashner. Duffy was good. Seven and a third strong innings, shutout innings, four hits, five Ks. Good old Travis Wood takes a loss. More on that later. Then on Friday, Nate Carnes lit up like a Christmas tree. And like I said, you know, allowing multi-home run games, not good to Robinson Chirinos and Joey Gallo. Both had two home runs each. So if you stacked those two up on DraftKings in a daily fantasy lineup, you made a lot of money (laughs) on Friday night. There's no shame in losing that game to Cole Hamels. I'm not concerned about that. But last night was the worst. Fresh from AAA, coming in with an MLB career ERA above five. Calling this guy a 4A starting pitcher is offensive to 4A starting pitchers. That offends Sean O'Sullivan. That, that's offensive. Nick Martinez goes seven innings, allows one run. Ian Kennedy's seven innings are wasted on one run and four hits. Even with a Bush League strike zone from home plate umpire Tom Woodring, who was squeezing Ian Kennedy all night long. So nice job, actually, by Kennedy last night. He continues to have a really good year and quietly is going to tease us with opting out of this contract at the end of this year. He does have an opt-out if he decides to enter free agency, and it might not be a bad idea depending on how he finishes the year and how the ball club does. We'll see. We'll, we'll take a great year from him, which would be good if, if that's even an issue at the end of the year. We'll take it because that means you know he's having a great year. But that night, last night, 
you guessed it, Travis Wood and his 15.43 ERA took another loss. And today the Royals lost to Hugh Darvish. No shame in that. Eight dominant innings from him. But, but man, how bad has Jason Hamill been in addition to his Cubs buddy, Travis Wood? Hamill has been awful in three out of four starts. Today, just three-plus innings gives up three runs, four hits, three walks. Hamill now has a 5.30 ERA after four starts. And that's similar to what we got from Edinson Volquez last year, but Edinson Volquez gave you innings, and we're not getting that from Hamill. He looks more and more like he's going to join Travis Wood on the bust bus at this pace. The stuff's not – and I say that, like, some of these guys I, I think are going to come back and start hitting the ball, like Hosmer and Gordon. A lot of these guys are established major league players. They're going to hit the ball. They're not past their prime. But for me, I'm, I'm watching Hamill's stuff. It's not there. It's not there. The fastball is straight as a string. The breaking ball, after you see it once, becomes hittable. He, he, he's walking guys left and right. And this is a guy who normally slows down in the second half and starts guns a-blazing. Man, if, if I, can't even, I don't even want to imagine what the second half's going to be like. That's the, the, my biggest two concerning thing. Well, I mean, okay, obviously besides the offense. Besides the offense, it's the two Cubs guys. It's Hamill and Wood. Those are the only two guys in the pitching staff that I'm really concerned about. And that's a good thing for the pitching and defense perspective. But, man, oh, man, these bats have got to start hitting. Nice to see Matt Strom back. The bullpen really has steadied itself pretty good outside of Travis Wood. Now you face a must-win series in Chicago. You have to win two out of three games if you're going to win this. Uh, I'm in this to win the division. If you're going to win this division, you're not three back at Cleveland. If you lose two out of three to the White Sox, who have the second-worst offense in baseball next to you, whose three starters, two of them are complete slappies. When I see when I say slappy, I refer to slap Richards. You can do the, the uh, language there. I try to keep things PG in this. Clubhouse conversation. What's another name for Richard? Slap Richard pitchers. Two of them are slappies. One of them, Carlos Quintana, should be one of the better starters in the American League as he has the last three years. The guy that I called coming into the year on our very own season prediction here in Clubhouse conversation. I called him the most underrated pitcher in baseball, but man, that's not true anymore. And we're going to get to this. I mean, you got to win this series in Chicago. You're four under 500. Let's say you drop two out of three. You come home five games under 500, and you're almost to May 1st. Then you're starting to get in trouble. Because if, A, you've got the, the looming in June, mid to late June, when we start hearing about trades. If you're you know below 500 at that point, you're probably dumping. You're probably selling. If you want to hang for the division like I believe the Royals can and should do, and their goal has to be to win the division, if you're going to hang, you can't get seven, eight games under 500 going into early May. I mean, as I've been saying the whole month here, the Royals have to be within two games of 500 May 1st. You can have one to two. You can probably have one 500 season in one or month. Not, start over. You can probably have one 500 month during the season and one month where you're one or two games under. And then you're still fine as long as you have a couple hot months where you're five, six games over. You can still win a division that way. If you're two or three games over most months, five or six, two months, and then maybe you finish 500 once and maybe a couple games under another month. So, But the, the, there's so many problems with this, of course. You, your margin for error is out of the way the first month of the season if you keep losing games. So that's why I say you're facing two slappies, and you already faced two slappies the last series. You've got to beat two of these slappies in this series. You've got to win this damn series. You almost have to sweep it if we're being realistic. If this team is going to win the damn division, they got to start playing baseball. All right, And that's what I say. And slumps don't last collectively more than a few weeks. I mean, individual slump, even even individual slumps. How many legitimate major league hitters who are going to have good seasons slump for more than two and a half, three weeks at a time? Not very many. 
And there's several guys having slow starts around the league. There really is. I mean, Jose Bautista being the one you think of first, and our very own Eric Hosmer and Gordon and Todd Frazier. I mean, you could go. Every team seems to have one or two guys more so than normal. Guys hitting 150, 120 with one home run or no home runs. But the majority of the time, if you're going to have a good season, you're not going to slump for a full month. At least not this bad. A slump for a good hitter is like two for 14. You know, three for 21 with a home run and a double. <laughs> it's not it's not one for 19 like Brandon Moss or on and on. It's not grounding out to second base every time like Eric Hosmer. These things don't happen for a month at a time if you're going to have a good season. So we'll know in the next 10 days. If this team drops seven, eight games under 500, we're going to get our answer pretty quick that they're not a good ball club. I still think they are, and I am not going away from my prediction of them winning the AL Central. I'm sticking with it. Somebody tweeted me and asked me that at Royals Clubhouse. You're damn right I'm sticking with it. This team starting pitching is the best in baseball. The bullpen will, at the end of the day, be a league average bullpen. The defense is a top three defense. And I still think, I did think this offense was average in the American League, just slightly above average. But I, I, I still think, they're not going to be above average, I can tell you that now. But I still think this offense can get back to average, especially when you add a bat like Jorge Soler, who should be back when the Royals get home next Friday night against the Twins. I would expect him to be back. And if a guy like Brandon Moss is still struggling that much, same with Gordon, then maybe they start getting, you know, two days off a week. Maybe Brandon Moss starts playing... Not only not against lefties, maybe you take him out once a week against a righty, and then you take Gordon out once a week, and you can still get Bonifacio in there four days a week, and you've got Soler back in there five, six days a week. Hopefully that will really help. Having Merrifield up here will hopefully provide a spark. Switching up the order, as Ned Yost did today, I give him some credit. Hopefully it will help. But this is a big week. Make no mistake about it. You've got six slappy games coming up. You've got three with the White Sox and three with the Twins. You've got to go four and two this week, if not better. I mean, you almost have to go five and one. And I understand that we're in April. I understand that you can laugh and say, this dude isn't what he's talking about. I'm being realistic. Gun to your head to win the division, you obviously don't have to go 4-2 and two this week. But if you want to be realistic, and with this team facing its quote-unquote deadline of deciding whether it's a buyer or a seller, you cannot get much further down than you are right now. You can't go into May 5, 6 games under 500. And if you can't, frankly, if you can't, after already being swept by the Twins and facing an offense second worst in baseball behind your own, frankly, if you can't go 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one against those teams, you ain't going to have a good season. Period. So, you know, that's where I'm at on this. So let's talk about the White Sox here. And Yes, hang on, I'm getting my Twitter. There's a couple of Twitter questions I meant to answer. Sorry, my producer Dan was over here. Um... The question I keep getting at Royals Clubhouse, Eric Hosmer, is he now in the Royals' price range? That is such a horrible question on so many levels. People are First of all, you're saying that the Royals can't afford him if he has a good season, which is probably true, but I don't like admitting that out loud. You're, you know, you're a, what, $145 million payroll, you're 14th in baseball, you're a World Series winning organization. I don't like to think that we can't afford Eric Hosmer if we really want him. So that's the first part of it that's messed up. Number two... Like he's doing so bad now, you think that he'll stay here and that we can afford him? How bad is that to say out loud? And number three, why would you think the Royals would want to re-sign him to a five, six-year deal if he's this bad? I mean, let's say, real. Let's be realistic. The realistic worst season Eric Cosmer is going to have, and this is realistic. Realistically, the worst he can be this year is two forty, with probably twelve home runs. I would say that's the absolute floor like worst case scenario i think he probably gun to my head i predicted 30 home runs before the season that ain't gonna happen i think realistically he's gonna hit 270 
275 and probably hit about 20 home runs. It's going to be a disappointing year, but it's going to be good enough for him to get a pretty good contract. But I don't know. If the Royals get to the down to it, if they don't end up trading him, do you offer him a qualifying offer? Do you want to pay him? I don't know what it'll be this year. What, $17 million or something like that? $17, $18 million? I don't know. You have to offer that if you want to get the draft pick if he signs for more than $60 million somewhere else. You still are able to get a draft pick if you offer the QO. They turn it down and they sign for, I believe, the length of the deal is over $60 million. And he should without a problem. But... But yeah, would you want Eric Hosmer back? I, I don't. I don't see him back next year either way. I don't think the Royals can commit to him. I, I just don't think so. I think he's been more valuable to a team like the Royals because they of the intangibles they have. He fits right in with their defense. He fits in with the clubhouse. He unifies the team. He puts butts in the seats. He's had some really big hits. He's one of the best clutch hitters that there is. And yes, I do believe in clutch hitting. A lot of people don't that are really into the numbers. I do because these people are not robots. Don't tell me the bases loaded in June in the second inning is the same as the bases loaded in the ninth inning in September. Or don't tell me they'll do the exact same and that human emotion doesn't come into play or the moment doesn't come into the play because it does. But I think he's fit in for this team perfectly. But I don't I, I don't think I don't I don't think you want him back next year probably for the money it's gonna take. Unless unless he somehow comes down to where you can get him for three years and you know fifteen a year or something. But I don't I don't I don't see that happening. Hosmer's gonna want a big deal. And if he does, if he, if he totally tanks, he'll take the QO. And I don't know that you want to pay him that much next year, depending on where you end up. So, no, I don't think that he's now in the Royals' price range. And that's a horrible question on <laughs> many levels. One other tweet I wanted to get to before we preview the White Sox. Who do I think the Royals should keep out of these free agents? People always say, which of the four do you think they should keep? Escobar, Kane, Moose, or Hosmer? My answer is, you mean which of the five? I'm keeping Moose and I'm keeping Jason Vargas if you can. But Jason Vargas, who we're going to talk to in about 30 seconds, who's pitching against the White Sox in game one of the series. I mean, he's I'm not going to keep up a 0.44 ERA all year, right? But if this guy has a low threes ERA and throws 190 innings this year, I don't think the Royals are going to be able to afford him maybe. Because, I mean, the way starting pitching is, I mean, I don't know. But I will say one thing. If Vargas does have that kind of year, what a rotation you have with Dan, your top three, with Danny Duffy, Vargas and Kennedy. That's a nice one through three. The four spot's still kind of a question mark. I would take Nate Carnes at this moment, but that one through three is really, really, really shaping up. If you somehow sneak in the playoffs, that, that's would you be pretty, pretty confident with those three guys pitching the playoffs? I know I would. The White Sox come in the second worst scoring offense in baseball. If you like no offense, you are going to love the next three days. <laughs> the the Royals have scored 46 runs in 18 games. 46 runs in 18 games. The White Sox have scored 55 runs in one less game. So one less game, and they have nine more than the Royals. It's not really that impressive, though. But I mean, it's not at all, but I'm just illustrating how bad the Royals have been. 55 runs for the Sox, 46 for the Royals. So the Sox are the next closest team in ineptitude when it comes to offense. You go up and down the lineup, it's brutal. Tim Anderson hitting 179. Tyler Saladino hits either leadoff or in the two-hole. Yuck. 213. Milky Cabrera, 250. Jose Abreu, 203. Todd Frazier, 108. And then a whole bunch of Garcias. There's a Leonis Garcia. There's an Avasil Garcia. There's another one, too, because they were the first team in Major League history to start three guys named Garcia in the same outfield this year. That's pretty impressive, right? Game one, Jason Vargas, Miguel Gonzalez. Vargas, 3-0, 0-4-4. Miguel Gonzalez, 2-0, 2-8-4. Miguel Gonzalez, a guy who's been pitching over his head for a year now. When you look into his metrics, you look at hard contact, you look at 
balls in play. Some of the some of the different things you look into it, and he's he's been pretty damn lucky. So he should not be that good. Of course, Vargas shouldn't have an 0-4-4 either, for that matter. But but Gonzalez has been good this year. He's given up three or less in all three starts, and he's gone six or more innings in two of them. Still, Jason Vargas against Gonzalez, you got to win that game. And not only do you have two slappies starting for the White Sox the first two games, the entire lineup is a slappy. So you really <laughs> need to win that. All right, so the second game on Tuesday night, Danny Duffy against Dylan Covey. Danny, if that's not a mismatch, I don't know what is. Duffy 2-0, a 1-3-2. Dylan Covey 0-1, 7-8-4. He has two major league starts. Royals have never seen him. He's a right-handed rookie. Pitched well at Minnesota on April 14th, giving up one run in five and a third, but got hammered for eight earned in five innings at New York in his last start. So Dylan Covey against Danny Duffy, got to win the game. I've got the Royals running the first two. And really, Wednesday afternoon, it's a 1 o'clock game local time on a Wednesday. is a toss-up. Nate Carnes, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. You'd like to think against a slappy offense, he should be able to hold him in check. He's 0-1 with a 6-3-5 against Carlos Quintana, who's 0-4 with a 6-1-7, as we talked about. Quintana, without a doubt, the biggest bust of the season pitching-wise, and I think Jose Bautista would be the offensive version. But Quintana, a guy that, you know, I think he has three years of club control, just pushing 28 years old, a guy that's gone 200-plus innings with ERAs in the low threes the last three years. The White Sox were planning on getting rid of him in June and getting a haul for him, but Man, the way he's pitching, I don't know. There's a mechanical adjustment he supposedly made before the last start. He pitched a little bit better his last time out against the Indians. The strikeout numbers are still there. 23 and a third, he struck out 20. So that's about right for him. But he's leaving too many balls against right-handed hitters over the middle of the plate. His breaking ball is is, is lollipopping there over the middle of the zone. And hitters have been punishing it. Now he hasn't faced the Royals yet, so and I'm not I'm trying I'm not joking. I'm being serious. He probably will shut down the Royals. It's not joking, being serious. They do struggle against lefties, but we'll see. And you never know. Maybe have you know, maybe having Merrifield in the lineup and, and Bonifacio in the lineup, and hopefully some of these guys are gonna come back to where they should be, Gordon and Hosmer. Maybe the Royals will break out in this series. I mean, they are facing two slappy pitchers. They did face two of them against the Rangers as well, and that didn't end well, but we'll see what happens. I'll go ahead and give the White Sox the win in game three. I'll I'll call two out of three in this series. Now, my concern level, what, after the first week was a three and a half. I'm up to about a six now. Because we got ten games until we're gonna find out what's going on here. If on May 5th or so this team's five games under 500 and still not hitting the ball and knowing that some regression is going to come from the starting rotation, I'm going to go ahead and say this is a bad baseball team. I don't think we're there. I still I still think it's a good baseball team. I, I really do. I still think this team will, will win the AL Central. I'm not backing off that prediction. But I'm admitting now for the first time that there is the possibility that this offense is just bad. That Brandon Moss is into last year in September when he had historically one of the worst months in history might be who he is at this point. That's a possibility, a strong possibility, in fact. I don't see Brandon Moss having any kind of year. In fact, I'd be surprised if he's still starting every day by mid-May. I mean, you may have Soler in the lineup five days a week, Bonifacio in the lineup four days a week, Moss playing you know, three days a week, and Gordon playing five days a week. I could see something like that happening down the line You know, if, if some of these guys don't start hitting. You know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I let the Royals to get two out of three in this series. We'll talk to you again, uh, what, Wednesday evening here on Clubhouse Conversation. It's your dish at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. We'd love to have you subscribe as well. Take care. Go Royals, and I'd love to hear from you. It's Davo on your dish.